0: Happy 2022 to you! I keep trying to figure out a way to make confetti come out of this blabbing in the bluegrass microphone. Haven't quite mastered that yet, but hey, we're going to make it count nonetheless. In fact, not only are we going to help you ring in the new year, we're going to tell you about a way... The little munchkins can sing in the new year. They don't even have to be quote unquote little. Anybody between the ages of 8 and 16 can exercise and grow their singing voice in a very unique Owensboro organization known as the Kentucky Youth Chorale. Its founder and director Julianne White joins us today in our Exceptional Educator Spotlight. We're gonna find out about her very interesting background in music education and choir directing even prior to the Youth Chorale. We're gonna learn of the inspiration behind the Kentucky Youth Chorale, how it all got started, the outlets of training they provide, as well as the annual concerts and performance opportunities that they present. So as temperatures drop across the Commonwealth, cozy up by the fireplace and enjoy Blabbit in the Bluegrass, episode one of season five. With a fit for every taste, precious time is not to waste. From Fulton to Franklin, Frankfurt to Fountain Run, nobody is Kentucky proud quite like we are here on Blabbit in the Bluegrass as we faithfully explore and celebrate all things Kentucky. I'm Sam Moore here at the lovely and luxurious... North Quail Motel in Precious Henderson, KY. Boy, am I thrilled to kick off 2022 with a lovely lady who has a tremendous singing talent, and she takes great pride in molding young voices on almost a daily basis, certainly a weekly and monthly basis. We're talking about Julianne White. She is the founder and director of the Kentucky Youth Chorale, a wonderful opportunity for youngsters to broaden their horizons and their talents while boosting their confidence and allowing them to make lifelong friends in the process. It's a neat, neat thing they've got going on in Owensboro. It's been in existence for a little over 10 years now, and it's still going strong. Now I know you may be listening to Blabbing in the Bluegrass from a number of locations within or outside of the Commonwealth, and you may be thinking, well, that sounds great, But uh, I must have to live in Owensboro, or maybe my kids have to be in the Owensboro or Davis County school system for them to partake in this. No, that is not the case, and we will elaborate more on uh, who can join, as well as the audition process and the application process, and uh, you'll learn all about that. Plus, we'll learn more about uh, Julianne White, personally, and she is quite an interesting lady from her uh, diverse background and history. music and singing and choir directing even beyond the youth chorale so uh, we will learn more about her in our exceptional educator spotlight here momentarily if there's an exceptional educator that you would like featured on this program I welcome nominations always all you got to do is shoot me that email, okay? It's bluegrassblabbin at gmail.com. B-L-U-E-G-R-A-S-S-B-L-A-B-B-I-N at gmail.com. You can also hit me up via the Blabbin' in the Bluegrass Facebook page. If you're not already liking and following the page, you need to do so, gang, because all of my previous shows are there, and you can stay up to date with information and teasers on future programs as they are presented, also make comments and leave messages. I don't care what they teach, where they teach, you know, the subjects, the grade levels, I welcome all teacher nominations for future Exceptional Educator Spotlights because I enjoy saluting teachers on a pretty regular basis here on the program if you haven't figured that out already But before we get to Julianne White, I have another Bluegrass Brain Buster. The goal is to do one of these each and every week. I will give you the question now I will reveal the answer at the conclusion of the program now two weeks ago before Christmas we uh, revealed the height and weight of the replica bat Attached to the Louisville Slugger Museum. Now, to sort of piggyback that, I'd like to know how many Louisville Slugger Bats the average Major League Baseball player will order on a yearly basis. Again, how many Louisville Slugger Bats will the average Major League Baseball player order on a yearly basis? You brainstorm that one and we will let you know in the program's final segment. Blabbing in the Bluegrass proudly presents an exceptional educator. Well, if you've got a little munchkin who loves to sing or you know somebody who does, well, you need to listen up because we've got a golden opportunity for you folks to, uh, you know, structure stuff and show off your talents while surrounding yourself with uh, great friends and great mentors. It's called the Kentucky Youth Chorale and it's based in Owensboro. Here to tell us all about it is the founder and director of the Kentucky Youth Chorale. Let's hear it for Julianne White.
1: Oh boy, I can hear my (laughs) thousands of students clapping all over the nation.
0: Oh, I'm telling you, you're coast to coast (laughs) and border to border. (laughs)
1: We're
0: we're sure glad you're here. We can't wait to talk with you about this wonderful creation known as the uh, Kentucky Youth Corral. Now, I know you've previously lived in Georgia and Montana. So where are you from originally, Julie?
1: Well, I was born in Great Falls, Montana, and that's a really out-of-the-way place. Uh, There are fewer than a million people in the fourth-largest state, so (laughs) it was pretty isolated. But I have to say, because of its natural wonders in two national parks, there were many uh, people who moved to Montana that were fine arts teachers but they also loved to do trout fishing and they also loved to hunt and they also loved to hike and that brought them to our state so i feel really lucky even though i lived in a small town
0: have you uh, have you been back to montana to check things out lately
1: oh yes I, I know you know it's been a few years but i have celebrated uh my reun- high school reunions there Oh and I God still you. have my college roommate and some childhood friends that I love visiting. So we go you. back when whenever you, we
0: can. Tell us, Julie, when and how you discovered your passion for music.
1: Well, uh, I come from a, a family that loves to sing. And even though uh, my parents were born in the Depression and my father's World War II veteran Uh, we all loved to sing and they weren't musically trained because people were really uh, poor back then but they uh, still had a lot of entertainment singing as in different family groups and in church so I grew up that way and then uh, when I entered elementary school I had a really fine music teacher that uh, traveled from school to school in our district and that was the big highlight whenever she came to my class and we could just do some singing and have get out our music books and play classroom instruments. So she was a bright spot in my day. And uh, by the time I was in fourth grade, I decided I wanted to be a music teacher.
0: That's cool. And uh, gosh, a lot of the music teachers nowadays um, travel between uh, at least two or three schools. So that's, uh, that's not uncommon now either. But who were, um, who were some of your favorite artists growing up?
1: Well, I have just a wide variety of musical tastes and I credit my uh, professors for that uh, all the way through high school and college because there are so many styles of music and there's world music and there are fine, fine artists all over the world. And I think the best part of a good music education is you can begin to realize who really has, achieved heights in their uh, style of music, whether it's bluegrass or country or rock and roll or classical music uh, or world music, whatever the style, there are people that come to the forefront. So. Uh, it's really hard when people ask me who's my favorite musician or favorite composer I just have so many of them
0: there you go. and you've learned to you know develop a, a respect for for just about all of it it sounds like although you probably you probably didn't hear very much country on the radio in Montana growing up did you
1: <laughs> well there there wasn't a lot of bluegrass music now we did have country music stations and uh And we also had some good classical stations, and I kind of gravitated to some of that because I had teachers when I started piano. uh, And then uh, some of my uh, orchestra and band directors said, Well, you know, listen to this piece or listen to that piece. And that's how this instrument should sound like, you know, when you you become proficient. So they were really good at steering me in the right direction. Awesome. Well, yeah, classic
0: music, classical music is certainly good for the soul, too. Now, uh, you mentioned the music teacher that came once a week to to your school and and taught your class, which was always a thrill, I know. So let's talk about some of your other formal musical training as a youngster, along with your uh, childhood experience performing, Julie.
1: Okay. uh, I started piano in second grade. And I'll be honest, the reason I wanted to take piano is because my older cousin that I really admired took piano from this certain teacher in town. And I just, I wanted to go and be like Linda. So that's really why I joined. And then (laughs) (laughs) Linda inspired you. Yeah, once I got going on it, I decided, well, I could be good at this if I kept practicing. And of course, I enjoyed the other students that were there. And this teacher was unique. She had, uh, she taught a lot of group, piano lessons, and that was back in the day, we didn't have the electronic keyboards, and um, we would sit around card tables, and we would just have a flat keyboard, like a picture of the keyboard, four people uh, on each side of the card table, and she would have about three card tables set up, so 12 kids, and then one child at the piano who got to play the real piano, and we would all rotate. And, see, all started. <laughs> and then eventually I, you know, my parents said, well, you need, uh, your own private lessons. And so I started sitting with her privately and, and that's when I really started making some good progress.
0: Now, what are your earliest memories of performing on stage, Julie?
1: Well, I, I did a lot of piano recitals and, um, I'm not gonna say I, I didn't start out as a nervous child. Uh, oh,
0: we all do. <laughs> uh,
1: I, uh, one time I played the piano and I was probably mm, eight or nine. And I remember uh, my fingers were calm, but my legs were shaking so badly. I thought once I finish this piece, I hope I can stand up.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that also affects your uh, pedaling on the piano too. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's right. That's right. But then, you know, once I joined band, I got to play percussion in the band and the orchestra in uh, middle school and high school. And we went on all, on all kinds of trips, which are a highlight of my childhood. And we played for district band and state music educators conventions and business clubs and churches. And we had a jazz band. I played vibraphone uh, in the jazz band, and we played for several high school proms. In the surrounding area. And then um, later in high school, I played the drum set in a rock group that, you know, just kids that I grew up with that we practiced at my house and we ended up playing for the Demolay ball and things like that. The D Malay ball—that's that sounds highfalutin right there. Yeah, <laughs> it was highfalutin back in the
0: day. Yes, indeed. Now, uh, you were at, you were active in the band then, obviously. Did you do choir in high school and middle school as well?
1: I did, and then uh, some of my choir directors found out that I could play the piano, and uh, they gave me the opportunity to accompany the choir, and um, that was excellent training for me to be able to. Uh, learn the music at a deeper level to really understand what the choir was doing and how the accompaniment fit in and how to follow a conductor and so that was really good training for me. Oh cool so you got to sing and
0: accompany the choir a little bit of both so yeah I did
1: now it was my little sister that got all the leading roles in the musicals she's she's the one that tried out for that but I was always in the pit playing (laughs) the piano. (laughs)
0: <laughs> hey, don't tell yourself short. That was that was an important role. Now, uh, you would eventually further your education, Julie, at the University of Montana, which is in Billings?
1: No, it's it's in Missoula, Montana. Missoula, okay. Yeah, there's Montana State, but I went to the University of Montana, and back in the day, that's where they were known for, for all the kids that wanted to go into the fine and performing arts. And uh, Montana State was for people that wanted to go in the math and sciences. And now it's pretty evened out. Both schools have really good music schools uh, (laughs) nowadays. But back then, it was Missoula, Montana, which is a beautiful campus in the Bitterroot Valley, the home of the Grizzlies. Home of the Grizzlies, yes, indeed. So
0: why don't you... uh... (laughs) Give us a, a snapshot of your, your degree program along with your musical pursuits during those college years.
1: Well, it, I uh, bit off a lot and it was one of the times of my life that was uh, very little sleep because uh, music, <laughs> uh, music education uh, is a difficult degree because it requires so many classes that are just worth one or two credits that require hundreds of hours of reading time and practice. But uh, I I wanted an emphasis in in vocal music, of course, and choral conducting. And then I continued my piano studies there and I continued percussion and played in the orchestra. And um, my senior year uh, was a springboard for me because Robert Shaw, the famous choral director, came to Montana to rehearse and present uh, the masterwork uh, of Haydn's Creation which is taken from Genesis in the Bible. And it's a musical story of how the earth was created in mankind. And I was just floored watching him. And uh, it was such an inspiration. And little oh. did I know that my husband that I ended up marrying would end up uh, being assistant conductor and violinist with the Atlanta Symphony where Robert uh, uh, had, had the orchestra in Georgia. So it allowed me to attend all of his uh, choral rehearsals and really take note of uh, how he was able to achieve a really fine choral sound. And that was really important for me.
0: So your husband bonded quite
1: nicely with,
0: uh, with Robert Shaw. Now, did you make your husband that, uh, at University of Montana?
1: Yes, I did. And I was uh, so floored when I heard him. I think why I fell in love with my husband is he was playing the violin concerto with the university and community orchestra. And uh, the tone of the violin was so exquisite, so beautiful. I just remember uh, having, I was just in awe. I had a big crush on him. And so I chased him until he caught me.
0: That's how you do it, (laughs) and you got married, and and the rest is history. Now, did you do any uh, choir directing as a college student?
1: Well, you know, in, in the choral conducting classes that we took, we were given very difficult literature, and we were either singing while our peers conducted, or we were conducting, And it's very difficult to be uh, put up on that podium and have to conduct in front of your classmates and uh, hold your head up high and really feel like you've done a a good job. So um, we we just had a wonderful conductor who had had excellent training himself. And uh, that's where I got the basis for choral conducting. And I think a lot of people don't really understand what a conductor can communicate through their hands and posture and facial expression to the choir without using any words at all. And uh, People ask me when I quit teaching and I say never because even in the concert, we're continually modifying things with our hands to create a certain sound that we're looking for. And so that's the excitement of doing it. It's never finished. It's always a work in progress.
0: Oh, always, yeah, but you're you're constantly adjusting on the fly, aren't you? That's right. That's right. <laughs> yes, indeed. Now, uh, you've been directing choirs in some form or fashion, Julie, since 1972. So, uh, outside of um, your directing uh, your classmates in college, describe your very first role as a a choir director, along with the. The most valuable lessons that you learned from this experience.
1: Well, uh, it was a real. uh, I can't tell you how different it was for me to move from Montana to Atlanta, Georgia. Oh, oh, Uh, the complete change of culture, uh, different different ways of doing everything. And I school had already started when we moved, and it was early on in, in September. And I went into the Board of Education in DeKalb County to see if there were any music substitute jobs. And they said, wait, what's your degree? And I said, music education. And they said, we are trying to fill a music uh, educator spot and go out to Nowood Elementary School. Uh, and I said, when? And they said, now. <laughs> <laughs> and I went out and the, and the principal said, you're hired and can you start tomorrow morning? So, oh gosh! Uh, <laughs> that was great to be. I could not believe it. I, I really just fell into that. Uh, and the, it was a school that had never had a music teacher ever. And it was kindergarten through eighth grade. And I was their first music teacher. And of course, they are really excited to come to music because it was not in their vocabulary, although they're, they were all really good singers. But uh, they had never had for any type of school music instruction. So anything I did was fun for them. And the word spread. I started an elementary chorus right away. And by Christmas time, we were invited to go down and sing uh, downtown Atlanta, at the famous richest department store for their lighting of the tree. And uh, they, tr- <laughs> they paid for us to go to a recording studio. And the students got to learn what it was like to cut recordings of the our Christmas music and then uh, it, it was just a, a thrill for all of us and uh, word got around after that and we were invited to sing in Symphony Hall with the Atlanta Symphony. So that uh, is how I really started attending Shaw's rehearsals and uh, watch him conduct some of the pieces that he was able to do with the orchestra and choir. Oh
0: and I know that singing with the Atlanta Symphony was a A real thrill for those children. How long did you stay at uh, that elementary school in Atlanta?
1: I was there until 1975, so three years. And the reason I left, in fact, I cried my eyes out when we left, but my husband was on tour with with the orchestra uh, and he was gone so much. And I didn't know anyone in Atlanta, in Atlanta except for my school family. And the school was a long ways away from where I was living. And uh, so I was very lonely, you know, when I got home from school and I was uh, throwing out the trash one day and I saw this beautiful logo fly by on this letterhead and I pulled it out of the trash and it was uh, Owensboro Symphony in Brescia University wanting someone to come and be concertmaster of the symphony and head the music department at Brescia. And so when my husband got home I said, how come you didn't apply for this job? And he said, oh, I don't know. And I said, well, it looks like a really nice place. And I thought it would be moving further north where it wouldn't be so hot and humid.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we still got the humidity here.
1: (laughs) You should try out for this job. So uh, he did. And that's how we ended up here in 1975 okay, so you've been you've
0: been in Owensboro for a little over forty five years at this point, so right <laughs> uh, I'd say you're certainly a local now uh, how long did you stay at Brescia before you uh, joined the Owensboro public schools?
1: Well, I just went to Brescia as a faculty wife. Jim had the job there, and I was able to uh, take all kinds of coursework so that I could find a job in in just about any teaching area. And I was able to do that for free since I was a faculty wife. So oh, I took I many know. I took many classes for six months and then the school year had resumed again. And then I was hired um, as a music teacher. And um, I, I really enjoyed teaching in all of the, the city schools and I've taught in almost every single one of them through those years.
0: That's that's great, well-rounded experience. And I know while you were at Brescia, you led the uh, Brescia Boys choir. And then you also had experience directing other choirs like the uh, the Sutton singers. Now was that a was that an all-boys group as well?
1: No, uh, well the Brescia Boy Choir was absolutely one of my favorites, and and we sang works, classical works like Carmina Barana with the Owensboro Symphony, which is very challenging. And um, some of those boys that I had then are now, you know, in their middle 40s, approaching 50. <laughs> and and uh, it's, it's really nice to have these relationships because uh, and now I get to teach their children. And they, they want for their children what they had as their experience. So it makes it really fun for me to have this choir family now that's multi-generational.
0: Oh, sure. Yeah, it's good to get to teach the the fathers and the sons or the mothers and the daughters in some cases. And that's that's always quite that's an honor. Right. That that's right.
1: And the sentence singers, that was in, uh, that was boys and girls. And I did that for a number of years. And uh, I don't think I'm wrong in saying we performed for almost every uh, music educator state convention in Kentucky. Well, I had the, the Sutton Singers. Um, we sent in blind tapes and and we were selected year after year. Um, I had a fantastic parent group that supported me and just wonderful talent. And actually what I have found is every school I've been in, the talent is there. Because oh, yeah, I, yeah. I really believe that children can learn anything that you want to teach them. I think if you set your sights high, you'll reach them.
0: Oh, absolutely! <laughs> if they have the
1: the motivation and the
0: uh, desire to to learn it, they can they can definitely master it. Now, uh, as we mentioned, you are retired from the Owensboro Public School System, where you served as a teacher and a consultant for a number of years. So, uh, describe the many capacities in which you uh, instructed students, along with uh, your experience developing resources and programs within the system?
1: Well, um, being a general music teacher, there are so many gamuts. And what I tried to do with my peer teachers in the district even before I became fine arts coordinator was to find out uh, every musician has a number of instruments they play in an area of expertise. And it's uh, general music teachers are not all vocal teachers. So I would find out uh, what they were good at. and tried to make a signature group in each school. So maybe it's a steel pan band in one group and it could just be, uh, we, we've had uh, artists come in and help us build African drums and, and oh, have right. drum cores uh, in other schools. And uh, we've had groups that uh, really shine in playing, uh, uh, well, like little uh, xylophones uh, of all shapes and sizes from low to high like oh, well, huh? the ORF instruments that you've probably heard about. Some have wooden bars and some have metal bars. So each school had people that were interested in, in different things, and we could all learn from each other. So that was a lot of fun because then our kids could get together and show off a little bit of what each school uh, could do and take a little pride in that as something their school did that was a little bit special for their school.
0: Oh, indeed, and uh, quite a collaborative effort. Now, in your music school teaching days, were you uh, were you always a teacher at the uh, elementary school level?
1: No, I, I uh, had the high school girls' choir. I took them to state and uh, many competitions, and that that was really lovely. I think what was fun for me is some of the girls that I had at the high school. I had taught. Um, previous years, back either when they were in elementary or in middle school, and uh, when we were selecting music that they might want to sing, they'd say, oh, could we go back and sing this song that we sang in elementary school? And I, it's interesting to find out what sticks in people's minds over a period of years, and I always uh, felt that overall, the kids would pick really fine literature, things that were very difficult to learn. That maybe when we started, it was not their favorite piece, but by the time they sang it well, it stuck with them, and then they just had this desire to sing it again. and And so that made me feel really good that I was on the right track. So, yeah, yeah. But it grew
0: on them as i got older. So yeah, right. <laughs> that was that was pretty awesome. Now, uh, when did you retire from the school system, Julie?
1: Well, I kind of sort of retired, and that's (laughs) That's (laughs) where we are now. (laughs) I I retired in uh, 2000, and then I went back to work for the school district um, for another five years, three days a week. And I did that because I had, um, the Owensboro Public Schools are partners with the Kennedy Center for the Performing Arts and their education program. And I had been to Washington DC over the years to get training um, on how to use the arts in the classroom for deeper understanding. So I did a program at OPS called Arts Infusion and I would go um, to every grade level of teachers. We would have level meetings and the teachers would say, well, we're working on the civil war in history or "We're, we're doing this experiment in science or we are uh, just learning the letters of the alphabet in kindergarten. What could you do to infuse the arts into my classroom? So I went from room to room, um, going to maybe 10 or 12 classes a day uh, during that time. And I would prepare an arts lesson for the kids. Uh, And I tried to write it up so that teachers would continue to use it in years after I left. So, it makes me feel good to know that uh, teachers are still using a lot of those lessons because oh, they oh, have yeah. found out that when when you use multiple learning modalities, not everybody is a visual learner, and uh, you know so much can be taught through kinesthetic movement or uh, working in visual art with spatial uh, relationships, and of course, all of your musical aptitudes. so, music, art, drama, and dance can play a big part in long-term learning and knowledge that they never lose. Instead of just Mm -hmm. rote memorization. So there's just so much research to prove how the arts help build a better brain. And, you know, you've probably seen the research that the longer that students stay in their uh, school music programs, the higher their SAT scores.
0: I have heard of a correlation there. Yes, indeed. I think it's neat that you were able to, uh, you know, connect what the student, what the teachers were uh, teaching to, uh, you know, an arts lesson and probably song in many cases.
1: Yes, uh, of course, you can make up a song for anything. And, and it's a great skill, even a reading skill and a fluency skill for students to create lyrics to a familiar tune. So oh, yeah. there, there are plenty of things that can be done, and it's fun. And that's the point. When learning is fun, you tend to retain it and want to do more of it. It's not just work. And it
0: kills two birds with one stone. It increases their music abilities and also their uh, reading fluency. So, you know, that's a <laughs> a definite win-win situation. Now, while in Owensboro, Julie, you founded a creative concept known as the Kentucky Youth Chorale. So uh, why don't you enlighten us on how this idea originated and what inspired you to embark on this initiative?
1: Well, I I knew that um, I still had more uh, teaching left to do and that um, children and music are my love. And I thought every great city should have a great community children's choir made up of any child in the area that loves to sing. And uh, I think that had meant so much to me in the past. I thought, you know, I can't completely retire and I can still do something that isn't yet done in the public schools in the private schools is to create a community choir for anybody, whether they're homeschooled or uh, public school or Catholic school, uh, religious oriented, uh, school-based learning. Anybody can be in this choir, and it's very important for kids to see other kids in different walks of life. And they make really fast friends, and they find out, "Gee, I'm not different. I'm just like all these other people who love what I love." And <laughs> I have way more in common with them than I thought I did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, you know, music is is really helps promote a sense of community. It's a very constructive thing to do, and. When we started out, we had about uh, 45 students in our first group that came to us that auditioned and we uh, started in January of 2008 and by May we did a spring concert, all from memory, and we had invited the mayor to come and sing with us, he has a really nice voice. Oh. And so uh, at that concert, he gave us the key to the city and sang a solo with us. It was really wonderful.
0: How about that? When the mayor gives the whole choir key to the city, that's, that's something special. So 2008, you started with 45. The, how, how many are currently involved in the youth
1: corral? Well, you would have to ask me that. Uh, we're, uh, <laughs> you know what happened to all choirs and all. Uh, you know what happened to public schools and private schools during COVID.
0: COVID it, took its toll.
1: Yes, it did. Uh, I, I think the most we've ever had was eighty some students, oh, and now hot. we're back. Uh, now we're back to forty. We're building again. And well,
0: we'll get, <laughs> it get back to me
1: you. a bit because I've always been one. As you you find out. Uh, where students are and you begin teaching them where they need to be taught and you build on that. So uh, we've just had a beautiful uh, Christmas concert at St. Stephen Cathedral that was extremely well attended. And um, we we did um, and a, a fundraiser event called Red, White and Blue Jeans and it's to honor our veterans. And um, it's a fundraiser where veterans uh, and first responders can get in free for a really nice evening of food and entertainment and silent auction. So we've done that this year. So it's uh, we've been rebuilding and uh, there are many things on the horizon for us. It's all, it's all getting back to the, uh, getting back into the community, performing, raising the kinds of funds we need to do, some of the travel uh, that we would like to do and some of the performances in the future. Sure,
0: absolutely. You'll, <laughs> we'll get it back to 80, Julie. I know we will. Now, by the way, that uh, the video of their Christmas concert is on their website, KentuckyYouthChorale.org, and you won't be disappointed, folks. So definitely give it a, give it a view, and uh, you'll be glad you did. Now, um, you've, uh, you've talked about the Youth Chorale and all of your other work with the children in the school system. Now, Have you, have you always worked with uh, you know, the younger age group, or have you ever done any work with adult choirs?
1: You know, I did. Uh, there are several rest homes in in uh, Owensboro and uh, one park place you probably remember it is right on Frederica. And uh, there there was a friend of ours that taught at our music camp that um, she was in her late 70s when she taught at our music camp. She's from Maysville and she was a Kentucky teacher of the year. And uh, she came to One Park Place because her daughter lives in Owensboro. And she said, Julie, what do you think about starting a choir here at One Park Place? So we had about 25 people in the choir at One Park Place. And it was an absolutely fantastic experience. And they gained so much from the choir health-wise and in every way. So (laughs) uh, we, we did that quite a few years. Now, she just passed away last year. And um, so we're still in the planning stages there, but there is a real need for um, people to visit, you know, places like rest homes and uh, these care facilities where people are, are uh, really isolated and they need more uh, stimulation. So I think starting a, a choir back again in the rest home would be a great idea. And it's wonderful for young students to come and share their talents uh, with those people as well. And I look forward to those days when we can get back to doing that. Oh,
0: absolutely, yes. The young folks singing for the nursing home residents really puts a smile on their face. And the more those residents sing, the more productive and enjoyable it makes uh, their, uh, the remaining stages of, of their lives, too. So commendable effort there on your part. Now, uh, back to the Kentucky Youth Corral, Julie. Why don't we talk a little bit about... The mission of the Youth Chorale along with the, the skills and experience gained from membership?
1: Well, our mission has been uh, to prepare the young singer's voice in a healthy and constructive way. Sequentially, uh, we, we are all trained directors and music is our life and you know, just like any other skill, there are better ways than others to approach a skill and to learn it quickly and and safely. And I think a lot of adults don't realize that the young singer's voice is very fragile. The larynx is just flesh and blood. There's no muscle there. The vocal cords can get beaten up by shouting and screaming um, and overuse. Sure. And um, so it's really important to us to train. Students, you know, a a lot of kids come in and they wanna sing and they wanna sing loud, but they don't have the breath support and the capacity to support that little voice box, which is still growing. And that's why most educators in in the arts will say, don't start private voice lessons till you're at least 16, because the body is still growing. So we, uh, the choir is a perfect format to learn all these musical skills and learn how to hold your mouth and tongue uh, when you're pronouncing vowels and learning how to breathe correctly, uh, how good singing posture can really help you project. And also the kind of focus that you need and um, the ability to sell to an audience what you're singing like all of the stars know how to do, that's how they got to be stars. So we, we try to approach all of that at every rehearsal. We meet on Tuesday nights, every Tuesday night that school is in session for a couple hours, and um, all of our directors now, we have four directors, and they all have different training and expertise, and we use team teaching with our groups, and there's never really a rehearsal that I don't go home and feel like I haven't learned something new.
0: See, it's (laughs) always a learning process that yes, vowel vowel pronunciation is key because as much as I hate to admit it, the way we pronounce our vowels in Kentucky, is not always the way you want to pronounce them when you're singing.
1: (laughs) Well, you know, a lot of dialects are are like that. And that's why people say, well, why do these players sing songs in Latin? Well, Latin has a lot of pure vowels and most people don't speak Latin. So, they're taught it from the beginning. So, they don't have all the diphthongs and all of the other things that we've learned in our colloquial speech. Yes. <laughs> and that's how we achieve blend. We have to hold our mouths in the same way to produce a beautiful blend in a choir.
0: Absolutely. And that's the, that's the purpose for Latin. Now, I know uh, that most of your monkskins in the uh, Kentucky Youth Corral are ages eight to 16. So, I'm guessing you have like a different groups that they're divided in based on their ages?
1: Yes, we do. And really, uh, you're right. It is sort of based on their ages, but it's also uh, based on their abilities. And if a child is exceedingly um, ahead of their time, uh, we don't have any problems moving them to an older group. Uh, But we did. that's the uh, part of the audition that's the most important for us is we want to find out what the vocal range of the child is. We want to know if they're an independent singer and can hold a harmony part. We want to know if they have any idea of how to um, use good breath support, uh, how good their rhythm skills are.
0: You know, we'll play little
1: tonal patterns and see if they can sing them back. We see if they can sing a basic round with us. And uh, But we make it a very positive experience. And um, really, you'd be surprised how easy it is. A lot of uh, people get very nervous about any kind of audition. And um, this really is as low key as we can make it. And everybody, we try to have everyone leaving feeling good and um, learning something about their voice that they didn't know before
0: see so they they discover new possibilities and new uh, new skills that maybe they had all along and and didn't know it now I know at the concerts you know these these groups probably um, sing some of their own things but they they all sing together in some cases too don't they
1: oh they do and we never pressure anyone to sing solos unless they want to a lot of students are just uh, one reason that they don't want to audition as they they say, oh, I'm afraid to sing by myself. And that's just part of the growing up process and gaining the confidence that you need to step out and do the next thing. And so we never pressure anyone to sing a solo if they don't want to. And um, But usually the very children that seem the most nervous in a a couple of years with us, then they say, oh, I want to try out for this solo and I want to do out for that, and they want to sing in smaller groups. We have a a group called the Charles Dickens Carolers, and they're all in period costume, and we sing music from that time, the Victorian era, and uh, we stroll the streets at the Owensboro Holiday Stroll and uh, sing, and we've been down to Franklin, Tennessee. They have a fantastic uh, Dickens over Christmas and we've been invited down there to perform as well. So we try to do different styles of music and give kids different opportunities to sing.
0: Oh, that's awesome. So if any of you folks were strolling down Frederica Street or any of the other thoroughfares in Owensboro back in, uh, in December, chances are you heard those Charles Dickens carolers.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. People just look twice. They're not used to seeing people dressed out in period costume like that and they all sing a cappella, which is another skill and I have to say our kids sing with really good pitch and uh, we just at St. Stephen we performed Carol of the Bells Everyone Loves That Classic and uh, we started uh, on pitch and we ended on pitch and uh, many times choirs go south on that one but uh, this choir really nailed it and I was so proud of them because they had some very young singers uh, yeah. performing it.
0: <laughs> that speaks volume of the the talent and very few choirs could say that they uh, started in on the same pitch so that's that's something to be proud of And I know all the uh, folks in your surroundings really uh, enjoyed the carolers. Now although you devoted a uh, considerable amount of time and expertise to the Kentucky Youth Corral and still do I know this wouldn't be possible without a team of dedicated professionals at your service. So you mentioned you had four directors. So uh, why don't let's acknowledge your your tireless staff members and tell me about each of their roles in making the KYC a reality.
1: Well, thank you. And you know, I'll tell you, we all work for peanuts. We all work for the love of music. We are not making any money doing this. And uh, so that speaks to them as individuals as well because they could uh, work any, anywhere, like McDonald's and make $15 an hour, but we don't even pay that. We do it for the love of music. <laughs> that um, speaks so for she, their passion. Uh, yes, the the first person that I, I had hired is Pam Howell, and she's a retired music teacher, recently retired from the Davis County School System. And Pam went to Kentucky Wesleyan College, and she was my very first student teacher. Oh, and oh cool. And I always say, Pam, you were my very first student teacher and and the best student teacher I ever had. And um, I knew she was special when I first met her. And uh, she's a church music- musician. She uh, is a qu- uh, choir director at her church at, in her retirement period now and is still remains with the Kentucky Youth Chorale and um, just a wonderful individual. And I also have Anna Sparks, who is recently retired from the Davis County Schools, and she comes from a long line of musicians, and her husband was the retired fine arts coordinator of the Davis County Schools and a band director, and their son uh, was in choir in the Kentucky Youth Chorale, and that's how she learned about us, and her son is now singing at UK and just has a gorgeous voice. He was a boy soprano when I had him. Voice? And, yeah. Uh, yeah, so he, now he's a baritone. So, you know, that's what happens to our boys. Yeah, their voices <laughs> change. Yes, <laughs> they do. And uh, our youngest director is Madison Wells, and she is at Sutton Elementary School now. And I was thrilled that she was able to go to Sutton and teach where I spent so many years. She's our, our newest. And she started out as a student assistant from Kentucky Wesleyan College. And we do take people who want to train with us, adults or college students that want to train with us and learn, uh, and they, they come and it's extra hands to help the children. And so it's a win-win situation. They can learn from how we run the Kentucky Youth Chorale and uh, the children can enjoy what they can bring to the table as well. And uh, Madison's very vivacious and uh, has been working with our preparatory choir so, uh, but then we have been really blessed with fine accompanists, and currently our accompanist is Grace Goodwin, and um, you know uh, she she would uh, definitely win to America's Got Talent. She can play <laughs> everything and play it well.
0: Oh, so kudos to Gracie and
1: Pam and
0: Anna and Madison. Now the preparatory choir, those are the the, the kiddos that are just starting out, right?
1: That's right. And uh, we just have to lay some skills in place. We actually teach rhythms and note reading. Uh, We run the children through uh, sequential um, learning activities so that when they can unlock music for themselves, you know, um, a lot of children just want to sing by rote and memorization, and that's fine. And we want to sing all our music uh from memory in fact people say well what's more important uh playing by ear or singing by ear or or playing by music and i say, well you know mozart did both really really well <laughs> so <laughs> who am i to say w- which one is better but uh we do teach the music reading because at some point in their life they're going to want to unlock the song all by themselves and the teacher won't be there and um so that's uh, an additional thing that students attain when they stick with us. And uh, it's fun for the directors as they get older because it's like having another teacher in the room when you have students that can really read music well. And they uh, eventually join their church choirs or community choirs and um, any director is so happy to have them.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that creates other opportunities for them. Now, uh, in addition, to your annual spring and Christmas concerts Julie. Kentucky Youth Chorale members also engage in other performances each year both within and outside of Owensboro so why don't you discuss the the local functions at which you've been known to participate along with some of the trips you've taken to sing at long distance venues.
1: All right Uh, I, I don't want to be boring but we've done we've had so many opportunities. We've performed for KEP and been on film with them at the governor's mansion. We've sung for the opening of the Kentucky State Legislature. We've sung for the mayor and the commissioners at City Hall and the grand opening of the convention center. We've sung for the opening of River Park Center and several other events there. We've sung for the chamber breakfast. We've sung many times with the Owensboro Symphony for the city lighting of the tree, the Christmas parade, business clubs. Uh, In fact, you know, we have a show and we travel. So then uh, out out of uh, state, we've been to the Kennedy Center and the National Cathedral in Washington, D.C. We've sung in Carnegie Hall. We've sung in Chicago at St. James Cathedral. We've been to Europe three times and have sung at in England at Canterbury Cathedral and and Notre Dame in France. In fact, the day that Notre Dame was on fire and it was on national news, I got so many students that texted me They're in. they were um, in, most of them were in college and they texted me and said, Oh, thank you, Mrs. White for taking us to sing there and what an experience that was. And, what do you think is going to happen, you know, with <laughs> Notre Dame? And I and I'm so glad that they're rebuilding it. But that that's a thrill of a lifetime. And you just really can't put a price tag on those memories and experiences.
0: Oh no, but you you, know, you certainly happen. cannot. And I know those kiddos are always thrilled to to play with the symphony. And that's, gosh, that's not boring in the least. Those are are great opportunities. So, yeah, that's all the more reason to join and uh, take part in the Kentucky Youth Chorale. Now, um, describe the criteria that individuals must meet in order to join the Kentucky Youth Chorale, along with the uh, application and audition process. You touched on the audition process a little bit earlier.
1: Well, I did. Uh, the The application has to be filled out online now. And um, once I get it, I make a phone call or an email and uh, speak with people and set up an audition time and explain to them what I do in the audition. It's there on, on the website as well. But uh, the purpose of the audition is just really to assess where the student is vocally and rhythmically. So that I know uh, should they be in the younger choir, should they be in the older choir, should they be in the soprano section, should they be in the alto section. It, and uh, very often I give them something to work on before they come back, uh, a little bit of homework. I mean, it could be on their breathing or it could be a rhythmic exercise that I ask them to to work on so they know that. Uh, they're, they're going to be given instruction that's really going to help them prepare for a future if they want to have it. And I think people understand with the, uh, in the sports world, and like the Olympics, you can't just say you want to be an Olympic athlete when you're in high school. It's almost too late. And uh, likewise, in the arts, these early starts make all the difference in what you can achieve. Uh, It's very hard to walk into a college and say you want to major in music if you haven't had any previous preparation in middle school and high school, at least. (laughs) So all of these things are just opening the doors. And, of course, we know most students will just uh, go on and enjoy music for the rest of their lives and be a good consumer of music. They'll know what good music is. They don't have to make it a career but if they want to make a career, then it just opens all kinds of doors for them. Oh, sure. So, I think the audition process is really pretty easy. I, I, I uh, oftentimes just ask a child to sing a song that they like, and then I hear where they place their voice, and I start playing those pitches on the piano, and we go from there. I just try to find a comfort level for them.
0: That's neat. Now, where, uh, where do these auditions take place?
1: I audition students at Third Baptist Church, they have opened uh, their doors to us and been so kind. It's a beautiful church with many grand pianos and many rehearsal spaces, and uh, we are so lucky to be able to rehearse there, and we hold our uh, auditions there as well. Well, that's
0: nice. Now, how, uh, how long do these auditions normally last?
1: Just 15 minutes a lot of times if they're not in a big rush and they have questions they can go up a half hour but um, you know it do- it doesn't have to be lengthy with young children and you can usually easily find out where they are and what needs to be done. Well that's
0: that's good to know and uh, I know you're recruiting for the spring semester now is there a deadline when people can audition or can they audition anytime?
1: Well, I wish they would go online and fill out an application so I could schedule their time, because we start again January 11th, and that will be here before you know it. Right. (laughs) (laughs)
0: So obviously, the sooner the better. (laughs) Right. That's correct. Yes, indeed. So hop on it if if you're interested so that uh, you can uh, start rehearsals when they start. And are those rehearsals at um, Third Baptist as well?
1: Yes, they are, and that's on Allen and West Fifth Street. It's it's right by the downtown post office uh, in Owensboro, and uh, it's a real easy place to get to with a nice big parking lot. And so we feel like it's a real good place for us.
0: Oh, absolutely! Just a couple hours a week, every Tuesday night. Now I know that um, generally speaking, the uh, the age range is is eight to sixteen, but I heard you say in a in a previous interview that. Uh, some slightly older individuals, like 17 or 18, they just have so much fun. They, they want to stay involved, don't they?
1: That is true, and we never tell them they have to leave because these are real leaders. And once you've trained a, a student and they're that uh, excited about being in your organization, then uh, you can take that to the next level where you can say, can you go sit by so-and-so and make sure they're on the right page in the music and help them with that part. Uh, and so it's like having another teacher in the room, and they they feel good about being able to share their knowledge with younger students, and um, it's just a, a win-win for everybody. Oh, indeed. Oh, yeah. It's yes. almost like, uh, you know, having
0: more leaders with those older kiddos, and you'll take both, um, you know, public, private school people and homeschool kids, Correct.
1: Absolutely. That's part of it. You know, um, I I think our homeschool communities very often cannot uh, offer a choral experience. So, but their children might really love to sing. So we have quite a few homeschool students in our group.
0: There you go. And you'll take, um, you'll take kiddos from pretty much any city or county that uh, that they wanna come from.
1: That's correct. I have someone coming to audition from Greenville. Uh, in fact, I contacted them with the tornado and everything that's happened to our state. I've contacted several people to say, are you still in decent shape? And, you know, did you sustain any damage? And are you able to come still for your audition? So uh, we have people that have driven from Breckenridge County and, um, That's quite a long drive, and we've had, I hate to admit it, but we love Hoosiers, and we have plenty of Hoosiers (laughs) over the Blue Bridge, too.
0: (laughs) Yes, indeed. So, you know, they're equal opportunity for Kentuckians and Hoosiers, so regardless of where you come from, have you had anybody from Evansville yet?
1: I did a couple of years ago, but I don't presently, but oh, I would probably. love to, and I'd love to have some people from Henderson. I've had some really fine students from Henderson.
0: Have you? Well, well, We'll definitely try to add to that list, so go to KentuckyYouthCorral.org and fill out that application and become part of the uh, Kentucky Youth Corral family. Well, Julie, this has been great. I've learned a lot, and I know our listeners have, too. Now, last but not least, uh, in 60 seconds or less, we won't hold you to it, don't worry, but uh, give, us, <laughs> give us your best sales pitch for Kentucky Youth Corral as uh, a perfect outlet for acquiring commendable abilities and attributes while making lifelong memories and friendships.
1: Well, first of all, I want to thank you for, for hosting this podcast and um you, you have really inspired me to rethink uh, why I do what I do and, and why I love what I do. Oh, so you I, I, I guess I would uh, say to parents that um, we provide a safe and loving environment for all the children that we teach. And our staff is second to none. They are seasoned and uh, exemplary educators. And I think singing shoulder to shoulder to create something meaningful and deepen our understanding of other cultures. um, And just uh, having that chance to do something greater than yourself, I think really feeds the soul. We don't talk about the soul very much, but I think people are looking for deeper meaning in life. And I think, sharing the joy of choral music is a perfect way to do that with others.
0: Indeed. Absolutely. Well said. And you folks make sure that you take the opportunity to go to KentuckyYouthCorral.org and learn even more about them. You can also find them at Kentucky youth chorale on Facebook. Um, does that pretty much cover all of our uh, internet resources there, Julie?
1: Yes, you know, you probably figured out my age, so I, I'm not real spiffy on the internet. No, so. no, you're, you're 39, right? Yeah, yeah, always <laughs> 39, like Jack <laughs> Benny. <laughs> Just like Jack Benny.
0: Yes, indeed. Well, uh, like I said, get online while you're there. Uh, check out their Christmas concert video. Uh, do you have any other performances scheduled between now and uh, the spring show?
1: Well, we haven't yet, but uh, we always respond to phone calls when people give us a call and want a performance if we can do it. We like to make that happen. Absolutely. So if, we're open so if, you're, to that.
0: So if you're a local business or organization in and around Owensboro, you'd like some quality music at your function, but don't hesitate to contact Julie and uh, they'll get it set up. Well, uh, thank you so much, Mrs. White. It's been great talking to you and we'll do this again sometime.
1: All right. Thank you, Samuel. I really appreciate it.
0: Now, we mentioned that their Christmas concert was posted on the website, but you may be thinking, well, Sam, Christmas is too far gone. I can't listen to Christmas music anymore. Well, guess what? You're in business, friends, because on YouTube, you will find a number of clips featuring non-Christmas tunes from previous Kentucky Youth Chorale concerts. I've heard a few of them. I was certainly impressed, to say the least, and I know you will be too. So go to YouTube, type Kentucky Youth Chorale in the search engine, and see what you come up with. Also, be sure to go to the website, which I will link you to in my show notes as well, KentuckyYouthChorale.org. That's where you need to go to learn even more about them. Fill out an application for membership. Once Julie gets it, she will be in touch to uh, schedule an audition, and you will be off and running. Now, as this podcast comes out, there is still ample opportunity for you to apply and audition and take part in the spring rehearsals and festivities and concerts that are a part of the upcoming Kentucky Youth Chorale schedule. And it'll be a Magical and memorable experience, you bet your bottom dollar on that. Now, funny story, Julianne White actually emailed me shortly after we got done talking, and she said, Sam, I accidentally misspoke. I retired in 2009, not 2000. So we need to make sure that she gets credit for those additional nine years that she worked full-time beyond what she said. Of course, after 2009, she uh, continued to work part-time, and the uh, Kentucky Youth Corral continues to keep her busy to this day, but I know it's the labor of love on the part of her and her staff. It was sure a pleasure talking with uh, Julianne White. It was great finding out about her background and uh, the inspiration behind the youth chorale. And if you know anybody that loves to sing, maybe you love to sing, and you're of age between uh, 8 and 16. Maybe your daughter, niece, nephew... Would that meet this criteria? Hey, be sure to not only (laughs) forward this podcast to them, okay, but also encourage them to get involved because no matter how many members they have, there's always a desire for more and, hey, the more the merrier in the Kentucky Youth Corral, so make sure that you get involved with that. Now, before we put this puppy to bed and look ahead to next week's show, which will come out... On Wednesday, January the 12th, good Lord willing, and the creek don't rise, we have the answer to this week's Bluegrass Brain Buster. And again, to recap, I wanted to know how many Louisville Slugger bats the average Major League Baseball player will order on a yearly basis. And believe it or not, it's a whopping 120. 120 bats a year. That's how many the average Major Leaguer will order, and I guess I shouldn't be surprised, because I'm a big baseball fan, and I've spent many a night listening to the St. Louis Cardinals, and gosh, if I had a dime for every time I heard about a cracked bat on a foul ball, I might almost be a millionaire, so needless to say, they go through a lot, and the average Major League Baseball player will order 120 Louisville Slugger bats annually. And that is the answer to this week's Bluegrass Brain Buster. We will have another one for you next week. If you have a suggestion for a Brain Buster, maybe a fascinating fact that I could turn into a Brain Buster, please email me along with those exceptional educator nominations, anything else that you got in mind. Bluegrassblabbing at gmail.com. You can also message me via the Blabbit in the Bluegrass Facebook page, which I hope you're liking and following. If not, you need to be because previous episodes are there. You can also keep up with uh, teasers on future programs, make comments. I love hearing from you there as well. And don't forget that you can enjoy Blabbit in the Bluegrass free of charge via four podcast directories. These include Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Verbal. And we're looking to add more always, so stay tuned for updates. But for now, make sure that you utilize one of those four podcast directories. You can uh, subscribe and listen to the program without paying a pretty penny via any or all of them. And we sure appreciate you listening. The show's never as much fun without you. You are the glue that holds us together, guys and gals. So until we meet again, you know your summit. Keep laughing, keep smiling, and keep blabbing in the bluegrass. Because we're blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. There's nothing here to hide because we're saying it with pride. Just a blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. With knowledge of the state, you're sure to appreciate. Yes, we're blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. Where musicians furnish talent and great whiskey Cools your palate just a black in, in the bluegrass grass. With a fit for every taste Precious time is not to waste